And now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Dennis, last week on Health Naturally, we spoke about the potential benefits of evening primrose oil supplements for diabetic neuropathy. And uh, lots of people were interested in that. And uh, you do have some other conditions that you might like to talk about today. Yes, I think we need to follow up on the interest in evening primrose oil and look at two other conditions. One, particularly a female condition known as cyclical Mastalgia, and I'll explain what that means later, but also the way in which primrose oil is being put forward as a useful supplement to help manage the discomfort of rheumatoid arthritis. And Alice has rung in because last week we did discuss oil of evening primrose in connection with diabetic neuropathy. And Alice, you've got a question you'd like to put to Dennis about that. Yes, I certainly have. I didn't hear the program last week. I have a 45-year-old son who has just been diagnosed 12 months ago with type 1 diabetes, yes. and I want to know what diabetic neuropathy is. Okay. Diabetic neuropathy is a, is a well-known condition, and it essentially is that the peripheries uh, begin to lose their, their sense of feel. In other words, you, your feet particularly um, don't react to, uh, to, to sensations. You, you lose the sensation of touch and feel. And um, this is uh, quite a problem with uh, diabetics, and that's why very frequently the di- diabetic nurse will carry out a simple test of pricking the foot with a needle to make sure that the client or the patient can actually feel the sensation. So it is a neurological condition. It is associated with the nerves becoming affected by the diabetic condition and now it's it's well uh, diagnosed these days and if your uh, son has just been uh, diagnosed uh, he would be under very good medical care i'm sure and that should always be the situation but uh, i'm not sure that it's well known that oil of evening primrose has some potential here um i would suggest very strongly that um, your your lad uh, discuss with his general practitioner the introduction of oil of evening primrose as an oral supplement, uh, perhaps as a, a preventative agent more than a treatment agent. It's certainly not a, a treatment agent for diabetes. That's that's not correct. But it is a useful supplement that might interfere with the factors that can lead to neuropathy, and it should be discussed, I believe, with his GP. That's my opinion. I'm very confident about primrose oil. The uh, literature is very supportive. Last week when I was uh, talking about it, I used some very reputable texts. I referred to a text simply called Herbal Medicine by three of Britain's best well-known pharmaceutical academics. And I also referred to Bosby's Handbook of Herbs and Supplements, which is an industry and professional uh, standard work uh, giving Uh, confident information and sometimes sceptical information about many natural things and with reference to oil of evening primrose two of those highly reputable texts came out in favour of it being used uh, potentially as an agent to lessen the development of this condition well I'm interested in anything that's going to stop any 
other things happening because his father died 33 years ago oh, from complications dear. of um, yeah. kidney failures through yeah. insulin use, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and I don't want that to happen to him. Well, what, what I would suggest um, here, Alice, is start the ball rolling. I, I'm a great one uh, for looking at the ways in which we as individuals can help manage our health problems. Now, this in no way bypasses the excellent service that our general practitioners and specialists give it. it would yeah, be, I understand it, that, and I, I really do want any added help for him. Right. Now, look, what the, the other thing I would say is this. There's a very, very strong literature base and clinical base to support the use of the herb bilberry for, for addressing one of the more uh, problematical conditions associated with diabetes, and that is diabetic retinopathy. Now, um, I have said, I think, on this program for many, many years that if you are a diabetic, in my opinion, uh, you should be using um, something like a supplement of bilberry, uh, which has considerable benefit potential in lessening some of the damage uh, to the retina that can occur as a result of, of, um, of diabetes. And that should also be mentioned uh, to the GP who may well know of that. These days we have to factor in that many of our general practitioners are becoming increasingly familiar with the role of natural drugs or supplements, call them what you like, in the helpful uh, management of some medical conditions. And I would think that uh, if uh, you're a diabetic patient, they're the two things that I'd be looking at seriously. Bilberry as an agent with potential protective action against uh, eye conditions and oil of evening primrose with potential benefit. And I use that uh, potential benefit uh, in lessening the onset of neuropathy. Thank you very much for that information. It's been very helpful. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Alice. And do remember that if you or your son have access to a computer, you can catch last week's program on podcast through our website, 2NURFM.com, the podcast there. But we're also going to have a look at uh, one or two of the conditions that will, well, will reply, will respond, if you like, to Oil of Evening Primrose. What's the first one we're going to talk about? Look, we're going to talk about a condition called cyclic Nostalgia. Now, I know that sounds very medical, and I'll uh, explain it in, in lay terms as simply as I can. Nostalgia basically means breast pain. And when we say cyclic nostalgia, we're talking about episodes of breast pain that some women experience, particularly before the period. And over 40 years, um, I've observed this condition, and I see it, Jane, in the context of what we loosely refer to as a premenstrual syndrome. Uh, some women uh, prior to the period or certainly in the, in, the, in the days or a week or so coming up to the period experience some very unpleasant symptoms, uh, psychological symptoms, uh, depression, etc., uh, physical symptoms, uh, things like fluid retention. But one of them also can be the, the breasts become particularly uncomfortable and painful. Now, what we're talking about here is a condition that comes and goes. We're talking about occurring in the context of the premenstrual syndrome. And whenever we're talking about breast conditions, we must emphasise any breast discomfort. Let me emphasise to the listeners, any breast discomfort must be certainly looked at medically before any interpretation on the part of the patient takes place. People 
unfortunately can start to make decisions about their health problems which can end up in, in, in big problems. And over many, many years I've seen women make some serious mistakes about uh, breast symptoms. I remember, Jane, uh, when I was uh, practising uh, practicing and also lecturing in my early days of lecturing in Glebe. Uh, Dorothy Hall was at Balmain, I was at Glebe. These, these were the Allison days of herbal medicine teaching. And I remember prior to lectures one evening, uh, well, a woman presented and had said she she had some breast problems, and um, uh, and that we uh, the the breast was exposed, and she has a very very nasty, obviously very very advanced uh, lesion in the breast, and she said, "I want to treat it naturally." Can you believe it? I want to treat it naturally. Mm. I said, "Well, if you treat it naturally, you'll be dead." And she sort of was disgusted with me because here was I teaching natural medicine, her not realising, of course that natural medicine hasn't got the answers to, to all things, particularly cancer. Anyway, the story is, by the end of the academic year, that woman represented in an incredibly bad state. Uh, the, the, the breast condition had, had become ulcerative and her condition now had reached the point where she was under medical management and what she was looking for was some sort of supportive treatment for the medical treatment, which in any case wouldn't have saved her. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because um, in our family, in our family, we have seen breast cancer um, active. And I'm very, very insistent on my daughters, as well as my wife, that they have regular breast assessments and don't interpret even something like uh, occasional breast pain or nostalgia as something that doesn't need to be profiled. Nostalgia can be associated with a number of things and before we talk about cyclic nostalgia in the context of the premenstrual syndrome, I want every woman out there to realise that what we're talking about here is a condition that has a lot to do with hormonal imbalance, occurs before the period and it can be helped in this context and helped quite considerably with an ongoing supplementation with oil of evening primrose. And I have seen evening primrose work in the premenstrual syndrome where cyclic nostalgia is a common symptom that the lady experiences. I've seen primrose oil taken very confidently and where that condition has been very, very much ameliorated. So my advice out there is for women, uh, particularly younger women who experience cyclic nostalgia, in the context of PMS, so long as it's been medically diagnosed as that, then I believe you should seriously look at supplementing your diet ongoingly with at least three grams of oil of evening primrose daily. Now, let me say it again. Every natural supplement to work has to be administered in a correct level. With this condition, cyclic nostalgia, as a supplement, a nutritional supplement it needs to be taken in at least three grams daily and ideally spread across the day. And fortunately with this condition, it's usually responsive rather quickly to the introduction of oil of evening primrose, whereas some conditions, and I'll talk about rheumatoid arthritis in a moment, that takes a little bit longer to do its job. Keeping in mind what we said last week about oil of evening primrose uh, oil, Jane, was that in any case, it's a supplement that needs to be persevered with. It tends to grow on you 
and it's more of a nutritional supplement than an alternative drug. But I give that uh, information there today because I know many women, and I've been able to help many women with this condition, suffer from this condition quite seriously, and both references that I've mentioned today come out in favour of seeing this very harmless substance being used as a means of lessening breast pain associated with the period. And we do have a couple of questions uh, on the line. Um, and we might look at Diane's question first. She's rung in from Soldier's Point. And Diane, um, you're interested in bilberry and the dosage of it. Yes, yeah, as well as the evening primrose oil uh, for diabetes. Okay. Um, Diane, with the um, oil of evening primrose oil for diabetes, and I'm glad you've, you've rung about this, you've caught me a little bit on the hop because I haven't brought my notes from last week, but um, I'm pretty sure that with oil of evening primrose supplement for diabetes, it's round about the six to nine grams of oil of evening primrose uh, daily. Six to okay. nine grams. Now, the good thing about it is that it's a very safe substance, uh, yeah. It's very difficult to see you overdosing on it, but you don't need to take more than what you need. Um, I'm sure it was round about six to nine grams per day. And as I mentioned last week, and I think I, in fact, quoted from one of the texts last week, that if you're going to use it, um, be prepared uh, for it to grow on you, so to speak. Don't expect overnight to see a benefit no, I, coming. It, it needs I to be am. taken. Now, that is, is uh, so with um, the, that preparation. With bilberry, uh, bilberry, if you're going to get the benefits of, of bilberry maximally, you are best to look for what's called the standardised extract preparations of bilberry, which usually means that it comes as a supplement with a specific guaranteed level and don't hold me to it. I think you'll find it's 24% anthocyanocytes uh, are the actives in it. Uh, don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty confident it is. If you're going to use bilberry uh, in a, what I would refer to as a more medical way, and I can't see any reason why you would want to use it without using it for a medical condition, make sure that you get a standardised extract preparation in a tablet form, in a tablet yep. form, and uh, use that... I, when I prescribe it, I prescribe two tablets daily uh, for clients or patients, and they stay on that indefinitely, of course. And um, look for that. If you go to your pharmacy or health food store, they would be able very easily to relate to what I have said, a tablet preparation that contains a standardised extract of the bilberry, round about 24% anthocyanocytes, as they're called. Okay. Do you have this at your place? Yeah, but look wherever you are. Um, yeah, you're, you're I'm coming into town, actually. So. Well, get, get them wherever you can. Put them that way. Right. Okay. And thanks so much for your call, Diane. And <laughs> Lynn has rung in from Cameron Park. And uh, you've got a question about a sinus liquid from last week. Um, good afternoon, Stuart. How are you? I'm very well, thank How you, Lynn. You? I'm very well. Um, good. Um, now, last week I was listening to the gentleman that had the sinus that only got it late in life, as I have, yes. and I'm just wondering, can I get that preparation from your rooms, like over the counter at your rooms? Look, um, it's made up of I bite yes. and five things that I can't remember because I was out in the garden. But you've, and you've written it down. 
Yep. I've written it down. There is a, there, yeah, but I can't remember the whole five things that go into the. Well, well, look, what I'll do, I'll give you the formula because you're at Cameron Park. There may well be a compounding pharmacist even in Wall's End or somewhere that can make it up for you. Um, so, so always give your own, uh, how can I call it, pharmacy or health food store a chance to respond to what we're saying. But the formula. I'll give it to you. Other listeners might be interested in it as well. Yes. Now, keep in mind that I have a number of formulae that I use to treat sinus, but there are a group of core remedies and the formula. Have you got a pencil there? Uh, yeah, oh, hang on. I just got oh, one. Okay, okay. I, got one. okay. I remembered three of them, and I also remembered the vitamin C yes, tablet, but I couldn't remember what the, was the what was What was the three that you remember? Oh, I bought it, yes. I think. Yes, good girl. Um, uh, echinacea. I think it was echinacea, yeah, yeah. and um, oh, I think it was something, something starting with V or something. I okay. don't know. Well, look, the, the oh. thre- the, this, I'll give it to you. The the, the uh, remedy that is that I frequently prescribe, keeping in mind that I have a number of them, would always incorporate the herb eyebright. Interestingly, because most people would think that eyebright would have a relationship more to eye conditions, it certainly is an excellent. A herb for things like blepharitis and, and conditions like that but also it is useful for dealing with catarrhal or watery conditions of the sinuses which frequently uh, bring about pain and congestion so eyebright uh, echinacea always echinacea in a formula for the upper respiratory tract uh, the american herb golden seal yes you, you've written those down i hope you've got them anyway they're they're the uh, three uh, major ones. The other herbs would be elder, which is a European herb. Uh, thank you. And the uh, fifth one would be the herb fenugreek. Oh, fenugreek, right, yeah. Now that's a standard formula that uh, that works pretty well and uh, interestingly it doesn't take too long to kick in. That is, if you have had the condition diagnosed as sinusitis, this is a useful remedy because it's not something that has to be persevered with for months and months and months. Usually, you're able to see some benefit occurring within a reasonable period of time that would give you confidence to persevere with it. Keeping in mind, though, Lynn, that any natural medication has a bit of a downside to it in that uh, it does take a little while for it to assert itself. But with sinusitis, it's not a bad formula that, so long as you are using it, I think I emphasise this too, with some vitamin C and what are called bioflavonoids. All very good and all the very best with that, Lynn. 49216216 if you have a question you'd like to put to Dennis today. And uh, we've talked about cyclic nostalgia. Mm. Are we about to talk about well, some other look, conditions? What, what I'd like to do there, we mentioned sickling nostalgia in the uh, in the context of what's frequently referred to as the premenstrual syndrome and i spent a little bit of time there explaining that the pms as it's commonly called is a well-known syndrome these days interestingly it was pretty well uh, brought to notice by a british doctor dr katarina dalton uh, she was a remarkable lady who wrote a book once a month and in that book, she demonstrated from her own medical experience and for, from her own investigation of the factors behind this syndrome that it was a hormonally-based syndrome 
and that uh, she treated along interesting lines of using uh, progesterone and uh, got great results. Now, we don't prescribe progesterone, of course, but her development of the idea of premenstrual tension led to the herbal medicine treatment for it, which is based on the herb Vitex agnus castus. And interestingly, there's a story about this. It goes back to my years and years ago in my preparation for lectures. It's been a story of my life, preparation for lectures. But I well remember reading Dalton's book and was impressed by the hypothesis that this was a condition of hormonal imbalance. Now, you might find endocrinologists and even some medicos question that and raise their eyebrows. Well, it's a hypothesis that I think she demonstrated was valid by the success that she had in her treatment of it, which is available to read in her book once a month. But I read a book written by a uh, a British uh, herbalist, interestingly called Captain Geoffrey Whitehouse. Uh And uh, I think he he was uh, a member of the Raj in those days, but many of them from that uh, level of the establishment also were quite unusual people. Uh, some would say a little bit eccentric. Herbal medicine has always been characterised by eccentrics. Um, but he was a brilliant herbalist. And in that book, which was called Natural Medicine for Women, and I still have a copy of it, very hard to get, he made the statement that Vitex agnus castus, a European herb, and up to that point not used in Western herbalism at all, that that was a herb that mimicked the effect of progesterone. In other words, the consequences of prescribing Vitex are what we refer to in herbal medicine as being progestogenic. So taking on board her hypothesis that PMS was associated with a progesterone deficiency condition, we prescribed Vitex agnus castus as a mimicker, if you like, of that with dramatic results. White House was correct, and as far as I'm aware, I was the first to introduce... Vitex agnus castus into Australia in the early 80s and it was first trialled at the Leichhardt Women's Health Centre by some of the students that were studying under me with great success. So my point is, in anything to do with PMS, including nostalgia, don't just think of oil of evening primrose, remarkable as it is for the breast symptoms, think, and I'm talking here to many ladies that experience serious PMS, think of using... Vitex Agnes Castus, readily available from our good health food stores and pharmacies. Some women uh, take Vitex uh, in the context, say, of the, the last week of the period. I'm a little bit more in favour of seeing it as something that should be taken perhaps ongoingly. But to be fair, many women experience adequate benefit from the syndrome of PMS by using it in the last week or so of the cycle. So I felt it was important to mention Vitex Agnus Castus as a great support remedy for a condition such as nostalgia, cyclic nostalgia, which occurs in the context of PMS. And while we're talking about oil of evening primrose, Dennis, um, other uses, other other things that yeah. do respond to I think it. By, the, by the time we finish this program today, Jane, uh, Jane we will have exhausted perhaps... Uh, the therapeutic potential of this remarkable substance. But look, it is a remarkable substance and it's uh, it's great to be able to just bring before listeners the potential that exists in something as simple 
and something as safe uh, as this remarkable remedy. Uh, over the years, oil of evening primrose has been one of my favourite remedies to use in, in eczema conditions, particularly atopic eczema. Now, eczema can assert itself in children, but it can also assert itself very, very vigorously in adults. In fact, presently I, I have uh, on my books uh, elaborated two uh, men in their 40s who have experienced some of the worst uh, eczema that I have seen for quite some time. Now, in most eczema cases, I find that oil of evening primrose is pretty well a mandatory substance to consider. Um, it doesn't work for everyone. Very few of these things do. And it certainly hasn't got the rating that primrose oil has got for the other conditions we've spoken about. But I always append it uh, to my treatment for inflammatory skin diseases. It's a, a member of a trilogy. And my approach, which I've documented in a paper on, on this condition, has always been to treat an eczema condition uh, primarily uh, with the herbs from the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983 is still, in my opinion, the most useful text for health professionals using herbs. And I structure my herbal component of treatment around stinging nettle and the herb heartsease. They're the two major herbal remedies that form my uh, liquid formulation. But coming back to my point, I will always append to the herbal medicine treatment the supplement of oil of evening primrose to be taken in conjunction with it. And quite interestingly, the role of bioflavonoids. Now, I know we've touched on bioflavonoids before on this program, but bioflavonoids uh, form a very, very important role in, uh, in my treatment of most inflammatory conditions of the joints, of the respiratory system, and certainly of the skin. And one bioflavonoid, which we've talked about on the program, known as quercetin, is very, very specifically indicated in reference texts such as Pozzotto and Murray's literature as a useful substance to append to a treatment for eczema. So getting back to oil of evening primrose, yes, it's used very usefully in addressing eczema, both in, in kids and in adults, as part of a treatment. But um, it also needs to be considered, interestingly, as a supplement with potential against rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis? Now, we, we know the literature tends to support uh, the use of fish oil as a useful anti-inflammatory agent in helping manage the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, what we're talking about here is managing the subjective aspect of the condition. We're not suggesting that uh, the fish oil or, in fact, oil of evening primrose necessarily alters the direction uh, or the actual chemistry of rheumatoid arthritis, but the subjective symptoms of the condition tend to be lessened with a diet that is either rich in the fish oils, six to nine grams a day, or at least the same amount uh, taken as an alternative of the oil of evening primrose. And this might be useful for people uh, say to me that they uh, can't take the, uh, the fish oil because fish oils may interfere with, with clotting activity. Uh, that may be so. I've not found anything yet in the primrose oil literature 
to say that that is a possibility. I stand contradiction on it, um, but it's a useful alternative perhaps to think of as an, uh, an oil with what's called an essential fatty acid. These oils are well documented scientifically. They contain credible active principles and these essential fatty acids, both in the fish oil and also in primrose oil, are thought to be associated with the moderate benefit they give in lessening some of the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm, that's good mm. to have an avenue mm. there, isn't it? We've still got time for maybe a quick call more, 49216216. Just just an interesting, um, going back to, to Vitex Agnes Cassis ah, for yes. a moment, you might see that there are a number of herbs that are particularly my favourites and Vitex Agnes Castus is one of my favourites. Interestingly, um, the herb seems to work best when it is given in very small dosages. Now, I'm saying this because I know there are practitioners in this town that listen to this program and pick up on some of the information that I give. I know that for a fact. And many of them are using liquid herbal preparations, as I do and good on them. They're, in, they're heading in the right direction. And, and uh, when I'm no longer practising, it's good to know that there'll be other younger practitioners in the town using liquid herbal formulations. Now, what I'm going to say is that, in my opinion, some of the constant, or some of the formulations, some of the preparations of Vitex Agnes Castus are too concentrated. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the way in which the Europeans use Vitex Agnes Castus, they have always used it in very, very small dosages. And I'm pretty well of the opinion that we can get just as good a result in managing conditions for which the herb is appropriate using it in smaller doses rather than becoming gung-ho. Okay. That is something to throw out to the younger practitioners who may have had uh, tuition uh, on the herb. My information or my experience suggests that uh, less concentrated preparations based on the European use of the herb may give you just as good results. Mm, excellent. Now, um, we were talking about the Vitus agnus castus and its popular name, Chaste, Chaste tree. tree. Oh, yes. It's been oh, in yes. use for a while, hasn't yeah, it? It has indeed. In fact, uh, there's a bit of a story about it. Um, and, and look, there's a great deal of truth in this. Um, Chase tree was also known as monk pepper. Monk's pepper. And <laughs> they, so they, did the monks sprinkle it on their food? They did. In fact, they might have taken it more deliberately than that because we do know that the chemistry of Vitex agnus castus does have a deflating effect on 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 the male libido, and hence its term. Uh, chase tree or chase berry. Now we should we shouldn't just shrug our shoulders at that because a lot of herbal use today is based on that um, situation. I believe from my study, I won't say use of it because I don't want to be accused of destroying any male's uh, aspirations. But I believe from my from my reading that that reputation can be sustained. That uh, the way in which it was used in monasteries. Uh, to lessen the amorous uh, activities of some of the monks, um, attest to the fact that it is strongly hormonal 
and uh, works very well in female conditions, emphasising well. that in female <laughs> conditions. So, <laughs> it's interesting sometimes to look at some of the medieval castles yep, in yep. Europe where they have still got the gardens yep. that they used to yep, have yep. full of herbs, yep. I'm sure, such as... I, I, um, I love that, and uh, in my little farm up at uh, Rothbury, my colleague Andrew Pengelly and myself are seeking to, to maintain a herb farm there, but listeners might be interested to know that uh, chase tree is readily available from our good nurseries and I have one in my um, in my front yard I don't think it's adversely affecting me but it's in my front yard presently like it's a deciduous tree so it will be just bare bones but in another month or so you'll find these beautiful hemp-like leaves so that's why it was also called hemp tree because the leaf of it is very similar to cannabis Mm -hmm. Um, and when it's in full um, blossoming it has a beautiful spike a beautiful spike of of sky blue flowers which lingers for quite a number of weeks and then the flower gives way to the berry and I've actually harvested uh, the berries of Vitex agnus castus and turned them into what we call a tincture and I've used it professionally and I suggest that anyone that's interested in, in uh, getting a herb garden going or growing a few herbs around the house, go to your nursery, get Vitex agnus castus, put it in, and you'll not regret it. It's a magnificent tree. used to see a lot of it on the North Shore. When I practised at Wurunga many years ago, the North Shore was a, was, a, was a wonderful place to be because a lot of those places were built before the Second World War or just after, this where a lot of these exotic things were grown. In Sydney. In Sydney, yes. yes, uh-huh. yes very so much it so. could be really good as a decorative plant as well. Oh, very as much so. And, and excellent for bees. Mm. Excellent for bees. Ah, we're coming back to bees. <laughs> you can never go too far without talking about bees. Dennis, thank you very much. Interesting program. We look forward to Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart next Friday